Jesus is so gracious and so welcoming, especially to all the wrong people. At least that's the way it was viewed according to the religious people of his day. Does that mean Jesus has no standards? Find out on this episode of Bible in Life. Once again, greetings to each and every one of you. Thanks for joining me again on this episode of Bible in Life. You know, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have any comments, reactions, or even questions about the Sermon on the Mount as we work through this material, man, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to email me at john at johnwhitaker.net and just reach out to me. Let me know uh, what you're thinking of the podcast. Let me know any questions you have. I'd love to connect with you. So uh, reach out to me there, john at johnwhitaker.net. And today we are jumping into what really is the, in a lot of ways, like the theme paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The large body of the Sermon on the Mount that follows this paragraph, in a lot of ways, is the explanation or application of this paragraph that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And it's really sort of like the, the thesis paragraph, and verse 20 is like the thesis statement for the whole Sermon on the Mountain. So really a central paragraph that we have to look at today. And just to set it up, you got to kind of do a little bit of maybe uh, sacred imagination to picture the scene that maybe motivates Jesus to address these words uh, the way he does. Jesus's ministry has been uh, is fairly new, but it's been growing, attracting a lot of popular attention. And as Jesus has been teaching and as he has been interacting with the average uh, folks of his day and the religious leaders of his day, Jesus has been challenging a number of their religious traditions. And he's been doing things differently. And so his followers, his disciples, have been picking grain uh, heads uh, from the wheat on the Sabbath and enjoying a little bit of grain, and he got in trouble for that. Or uh, He's been healing people on the Sabbath, and the, the, the religious leaders feel like that violates the their laws, their oral traditions that were very central to their understanding of following God and obeying God. Jesus has been challenging those kinds of traditions, and it looks like he's like this young, up-and-coming rabbi who just is... Um, loose in what he stands for. He doesn't respect the traditions of the elders. He doesn't want to do things their way. He's sort of this this maverick who's going to kind of go his own way and do his own thing. And so it, it almost looks like Jesus is sort of just cavalier in his approach to the Old Testament law and the Old Testament scriptures, and certainly into the rabbinic understandings, the Jewish understandings, the oral traditions that said, here's how you live out that law that God gave us in the Old Testament. Well, that that fact leads Jesus to say what he does at the beginning of this paragraph in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. And you could see why Jesus would feel the need to say that. In that context where he's sort of challenging their traditions or even willing to have his disciples violate some of their oral traditions, from their perspective, from the conservative religious Pharisaic perspective, it looks like Jesus is anti-law. It looks like Jesus is just going to 
you know, do his own thing, and he's against their law because the oral tradition was so central to their understanding of the law and how to keep the law. And so Jesus uh, wants to make sure everyone knows, uh, whether it's the religious leaders or his followers in the crowd, he wants to make sure everyone knows that he's not anti-law. So he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. And that phrase, the law and the prophets, or the law or the prophets here, really is referring to the whole Old Testament scriptures. The, the law refers most technically or precisely to the first five books of the Old Testament, what's known as the Jewish law, the, the Torah, the, the instructions of Moses. Uh, and so that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, at the beginning of your Bible. That's most precisely the law. And then the prophets were all the other inspired books that make up the Old Testament. And so from the, the Jewish perspective, this phrase, the law or the prophets, refers to the Old Testament scriptures. And so Jesus is saying, don't think that I, I came to abolish, to nullify, to void out the law or the prophets. Um, and that idea of voiding out, I think, makes really good sense. You know, you, you can kind of picture uh, a check where you write in big letters across it, void. That check is useless. It's no good. It's been canceled out. And Jesus is saying, don't think I came to cancel out the law of the prophets. I didn't come to cancel them out to make them void. I came to fulfill them. I came to bring them to their proper uh, intent and their proper goal, their proper interpretation, uh, and being carried out in their intended way. Uh, the Jewish teachers of Jesus' day actually spoke of uh, various ways of uh, abolishing or voiding the scriptures, the law and the prophets. One way you could do that was by uh, misunderstanding, misinterpreting them. That would be to nullify them. Another way the Jewish teachers of Jesus' day said you could abolish the law of the prophets was uh, to disobey them. Well, what Jesus, I think, is saying here then in Matthew 5.17 is he didn't come to, to nullify or cancel them out. He came to fulfill them, to bring them to their proper interpretation, to bring about the proper understanding of what God intended by his commands under the old covenant, the law and the prophets, and to help people actually obey them, to bring about the true and right and full obedience of the law and the prophets. So he came to fulfill them. In fact, he goes on in verse 18 and he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest stroke shall pass away from the law until everything is accomplished. In other words, Jesus is saying, this law is God's word. It's central. It's important. And so not until heaven and earth pass away, meaning really never, at the end of time, when when all things are made new, not the smallest letter or the smallest stroke is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. This, this law had a, a purpose to accomplish. It had a job to do. And, and even, even as God's covenant that has been made new in Jesus, so that covenant in some ways is passe, well, its job still is God's word and it still teaches God's ways. And so, it, not the smallest letter or the smallest stroke is going to pass away from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Jesus says in verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches and whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in other words, whoever voids out or counsels one of the least of these commandments. Well, what commandments does he have in mind? And I think you can get a sense of that when you read the following context. The least of these commandments seems to be some of the, the most powerful commandments of the Old Testament, particularly the Ten Commandments. And that's where Jesus goes immediately in what follows. He goes to, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Well, whoever cancels out and voids those commandments and teaches others those things don't matter. You don't have to keep those commandments. Jesus says he'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, whoever obeys and teaches other to obey them, he'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus intends for his followers to obey God. Jesus isn't anti-law, even though so many modern Christians seem to be anti-the law. Um, You hear plenty of modern conservative Christians talk about how the Old Testament was just a bunch of rules and rituals and regulations, and they almost say it with a little bit of disdain or scorn in in their tone of voice as if that stuff was just bad, and look how petty and silly that was, and it just led to so much legalism and all that. But Jesus didn't feel that way, and in fact, the Old Testament doesn't feel that way. You read, for example, the Psalms, the, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, the longest Psalm, Psalm 119, is a praise to God for giving the law and for how good and rich and helpful the law is, that God's word in the Old Testament law was instructing the way of life. You read Psalm 19, the same thing, and it talks about how it brings joy to the heart. It's like uh, sweet as honey, Psalm 19 says, that the law is good. Um, And so Jesus isn't anti-law, and we shouldn't be uh, either. It's not that the law was bad. It's that the law had a very specific job to do. And so much of that law is actually recaptured in the, the New Testament as far as how God wants us to live. And so Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to nullify that. I didn't come to cancel that out. And you as my followers better not either. You better not not disobey those things. You better not uh, teach others to disobey those things. You need to keep and teach those commandments. And if you do that, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the ways to think about this in relationship to Jesus and the purpose of the law has to do with, say, pregnancy and childbirth. Well, pregnancy is is good, but it has a termination point. It has a goal, an end point, and, and childbirth doesn't cancel out or nullify or make void pregnancy, even though it ends it. Uh, childbirth brings pregnancy to its proper destination, its proper uh, fulfillment, its intended purpose. Well, Jesus does that for the law. 
Um, the Old Testament law always had a goal, always had a purpose in mind, and Jesus is the, the, the fulfillment of that. He is, in the words of N.T. Wright, he's the climax of the covenant. He brings the old covenant to its intended end. And so, yes, the old covenant has come to its end point, but it's not canceled that out by that. It's not made null and void by that. It's brought to its uh, its intended goal and its intended purpose. And so Jesus is going to go on in this Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to say, look, here's what it really means to live according to the law. Here's how you really keep these commandments. Here's how you really live them out. And Jesus intends to make his people into the kind of people who could actually uh, obey the law and fulfill the law in a way that uh, prior to Jesus just couldn't be done. Jesus' teaching is going to get to the heart of the matter that lies behind some of those Old Testament commands, some of those even like the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is going to go below the surface, uh, beyond skin deep, to say, Here's really the heart and the soul behind this whole thing. You really want to keep the law? Well, guess what? This is how you do it. And so he's not nullifying it. He's not watering it down. He's not making it null and void. He actually is fulfilling it. And it's going to be a deeper, richer kind of obedience. In fact, Jesus ends this this paragraph by saying this. And we noted in our introduction to the Sermon on the Mount that this next sentence, verse 20, is the thesis statement. It's the main point of the Sermon on the Mount, and everything else is sort of an explanation of an application of verse 20. So we really need to pay attention to this. Here it is. Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, just a couple little technical things real quick. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? If you're not super familiar with uh, your Bible and uh, Jesus' ministry, you might not be familiar with who the scribes and the Pharisees are. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees were uh, some of the most important religious teachers and religious leaders of Jesus' day. The scribes were sort of like the law keepers. They were the ones who were responsible for uh, transcribing or copying the Old Testament law and making sure it was copied and passed on accurately because they didn't have Xerox in their day and age. And so the scribes were the ones who were responsible for that. And therefore, they were very knowledgeable of the Old Testament law, and they had uh, a lot of thoughts and insights and opinions about what that law meant and how to keep it. And the Pharisees were... um, kind of like the popular level religious leaders of the day. They were often the ones who uh, taught in the synagogues. They were the ones who often ran the synagogue school where young Jewish boys were taught and trained in, in the scriptures and how to, how to obey the scriptures. And so they were the, the, the kind of the popular level Jewish leaders. And their whole goal by their, their heritage and where they came from, their whole goal as Pharisees was to be as obedient to God's law as possible, to keep God's law uh, as to the to the best that they possibly could. So they had all sorts of traditions about, um, well, if God's law says this, let's make sure we don't even do that because that'll make sure we we don't 
unintentionally violate God's law. They they actually spoke of like building a fence around the law. And so they had interpretations, suggested applications that kind of became almost like an oral law, oral traditions, oral applications of the law that if you don't violate their traditions, you certainly won't violate the law. That's who the Pharisees were. And their motive was right. They wanted to keep God's law to the best of their ability. Well, Jesus says here in verse 20, I say to you, unless your righteousness, unless your your purity of life, unless your obedience to God's commands goes beyond, surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, these, these most important, most central religious teachers, those who knew God's word and tried to keep to the best of their ability, unless your righteousness goes beyond that, Jesus says, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't lowering the standards for his people. He's not like lowering, well, you know, no one could keep that Old Testament law, so let's just lower the bar. Now anyone can get in because the bar is so low. Jesus is raising the bar. And Jesus is saying, here is the standard of righteousness. You want to know what the law really was after? You want to know what God really wants? You want to know what it really looks like to be righteous in the full sense of what the law intended? Well, here's what it means. And your righteousness needs to go beyond that. And that's what Jesus is going to teach in the ensuing paragraphs here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to show us what surpassing righteousness looks like. And it's it's far more challenging than uh, just the external bare bones keeping of the law. And so Jesus intends for his followers to have surpassing righteousness. Jesus intends to equip his followers to live out a surpassing righteousness. If we want to experience the fullness of God's kingdom, well, surpassing righteousness is the way to go. And and that's not opposed to, to Jesus' grace. That's empowered by Jesus' grace. Jesus intends to make you and to make me the kind of people who can live out surpassing righteousness. And in doing so, we can bring great glory to God. And so, um, if you want to uh, experience the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, well, your righteousness needs to surpass that. It needs to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the key things that means is it needs to get below the surface. It needs to go beyond just the externals and the religious activity one of the major complaints Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees was, you clean the outside of the, the bowl or the, the cup, but you don't clean the inside. Jesus wants our righteousness to get to the inside and to clean the inside of the cup. In fact, um, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers on the spiritual life, um, <clears throat> he he has said that the the evidence of our failure to to even live out that surpassing righteousness and is that we still kind of clean the outside of the cup and clean the outside of the bowl but we don't clean the inside and we don't therefore have the deep transformation of life that Jesus envisioned and he says the evidence of that is the shallowness of modern western christianity and there's a lot of wisdom in that and there's a lot of truth for us and so if we want to truly honor Jesus and truly know Jesus, then we need to understand Jesus didn't come to abolish God's commands. He didn't come to 
nullify or void them out. He didn't come to nullify the law. He came to fulfill. And part of what that means is he came to help us be the kind of people who actually live according to God's way in this world. All right, that's it for today. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is just a really challenging text for us to think about and reflect on. If you have some theological questions about what Jesus says here about not abolishing the law, but some of the things the Apostle Paul said, where it sounds like Jesus brought the law to an end and you're wondering how those things go together, I've got a special patron-only podcast on my Patreon page, and I would uh, love for you to check that out. So you can find that at uh, patreon.com slash John Whitaker, or there's a link to it on the bottom of my podcast page on my website, and I will help you think through and wrestle with some of the things the Apostle Paul said and what Jesus says here and how they go together as we think through Jesus, Paul, and the end of the law. All right, that's it. I will see you next time on Bible in Life.